Hey everyone, this is Mike DeBliss. I'm an attorney specializing in tax law and copyright law. This podcast is going to be on the nuts and bolts of copyright law as it applies to the internet. Um, it is a bit of a technical area and it can become a little bit boring at different points. Um, I'll do the best I can to take a big picture view of things and to um, routinely emphasize the practical aspects of what to do to protect your online assets, whether it be a website that you have or content that you've created and have posted online. So let's kick this off with a bread and butter example of how something um, like copyright infringement would happen online and how it affects millions of people on a regular basis. Let's say that you do a Google search for something that you've created. In this case, let's use an ex as an example a blog post. And you find it in the Google search. In fact, not only do you find it, but you see that it's on the first page of Google. But, lo and behold, it's not yours. It's yours in the sense that you've written it. It's your blog post. It's originally yours, but someone else took it and put it on their blog and in doing so gave others the false impression that they were the creator. Or, um, jumping from that, let's suppose that you created an online course and you're selling it for $500. Then you find out that it's on sale on another person's website, another person who you did not give permission in any way, shape, or form to, um, to, to use. So that same exact course to add insult to injury that you spent all that time and money and effort to create now sells for just $59 on a secondhand website and you see that people are buying it. So maybe it's a blog post, maybe it is an online course that someone else took and set up on their own channel, or maybe it's a course or a product that you have. It might even be an ebook. In the digital space, um, it is uh, like the wild, wild west. It's easy to do this, and sadly, this is happening all the time. So the question always becomes, what can we do about this? What can we do to protect our online assets that we have spent an inordinate amount of time and money and effort creating? So in this space, we're going to talk about copyright infringement. And whenever the topic of copyright infringement comes up, we are specifically referring to the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, or DMCA for short, and that applies to the internet. We're going to talk about what the DMCA is, how to use it to your benefit if someone has taken your content, and how to protect your website if you allow users to post comments on it. Um, and not to scare anybody, but if you allow users to post comments on your website, um, there is still a risk of a third-party uh, claim against you if one of your users posts infringed content. 
um, in the comment section. So it's something that you want to be wary of. And we're going to cover that as we go through the uh, Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So let's begin with a quick and dirty definition of copyright infringement. It's been around since time immemorial. It's the use of works protected by copyright law without permission. And it infringes upon exclusive rights granted to the copyright holder. As the holder of the copyright, that person has the right to reproduce, distribute, display, or perform the protected work or to make derivative works. And, um, and so that's what the rub is. You have someone who has created content, um, original content, and lo and behold, that content has been taken without the creator's permission by a uh, black hatter, so to speak. Now, in terms of copyright infringement, uh, we don't use the term stealing or pirating um, for uh, the taking of the material. Instead, the verb infringe or infringing is used in the statute. So it's very important to understand that uh, when we refer to stolen uh, material, stolen um, copy, that we're using the verb infringe just to be consistent with the language in the copyright infringement statute. Now, I said earlier that the copyright infringement statute has been on the books for time immemorial, and that is true. Um, it has um, recently, well, not so recently because it's been over, well over a decade, but it's been expanded to works on the internet. And that's what the primary emphasis of this podcast is going to be, the application of the copyright infringement law to um, the Internet. And to bridge that gap, we have the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So backing up a little bit, the idea behind copyright infringement is relatively simple. If you create some work, it's original, it's yours, you hold the rights to publish and distribute it. You as the copyright holder are typically the work's creator or a publisher or a publisher or other business to whom copyright has been assigned. If you take someone's content without their permission, you are committing copyright infringement unless you have some kind of fair use defense. We're not going to get into fair use um, that much because that is a bit of a complicated concept and multifaceted. However, we will um, we will give you a bird's eye view of when that comes up. Now, copyright holders routinely invoke legal and technological measures to prevent and penalize copyright infringement. Um, copyright infringement disputes are usually resolved through direct negotiation, a notice and takedown process, or litigation in civil court. Litigation in civil court uh, surrounding copyright infringement disputes is rare. And the reason being is because it's an expensive process. And so it's usually reserved for uh, the heavy hitters, um, those companies that have the financial resources and wherewithal to go to court and to litigate it. Most of the time, copyright infringement disputes are resolved 
by way of this notice and takedown process that we will discuss. Now, if someone makes a copyright claim, they are entitled to damages. And the damages range from as little as $200, uh, if we're talking about an image, all the way up to $150,000. Um, the infringer may also have to pay the creator's attorney fees if they lose. And again, that is assuming that we are now in full-blown litigation in federal court. So what we have here, what, what has led to such widespread anonymous infringement is um, in, in, the, in the digital age is the fact that the internet has just blown up. As we know, um, as everybody knows, uh, every, um, you know, every person, um, you know, every person has a website these days, whether it be a business website or a personal website. And that has given rise to widespread anonymous, anonymous infringement. And what's happened now is that copyright dependent industries like record um, producing companies, movie producing companies, MGM, uh, Universal, they now focus less on pursuing individuals who seek and share copyrighted protected content online and more on expanding copyright law to recognize and penalize the service providers and software distributors. So in other words, it's almost like the war against drugs uh, when the emphasis at one time was on the bottom feeders, the users of the drugs. Now, um, well, not so much now, but in over the last uh, two to three decades, the emphasis has been on the sellers, those that you know are amassing the volume of drugs and are selling it, you know, directly to uh, users or selling it. Uh, to the middlemen. Uh, the prosecution efforts are focused on the sellers. And, um, and when we talk about sellers, we can get into small, in the drug realm at least, we can talk about sellers who are street sellers, and then we can talk about sellers who are um, the sellers that you, um, you know, that Hollywood portrays in films like uh, Crocodile Dundee. Uh, where they are sitting in uh, an opulent uh, palace in a third world country and are um, basically controlling the operation uh, from afar and are dealing in pounds of you know cocaine or heroin as opposed to just kilos. But in any event, um, with copyright infringement, extrapolating from the drug example, um, these copy, these record companies and movie companies have realized that it's an exercise in futility to go after the um, users, the small guys, the uh, minnows, so to speak. And instead, they want to focus on the whales. And the whales of the industry these days are those you might expect. Um, they are the Facebooks, the Googles. And uh, those are the ones that routinely get targeted uh, by the record companies and by um, Hollywood um, because they control so much 
of the pirated content that is still available online. And um, the bottom feeders or the minnows are, you know, are basically just that. There are a multitude of them and it's an exercise in futility to try to pursue each one of those. It's time consuming and and expensive. So the big whales are deemed to facilitate and encourage individual acts of infringement by others. Now, for those who um, are interested in the economic impact of copyright infringement, it varies widely and it depends on many, many factors. However, estimates put it at um, upwards of a billion, billion dollars a year. So let's segue now into the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. This is actually a fascinating area of the law and uh, one that, um, you know, is uh, great for uh, robust discussions in academia, but is very unnerving if you are the one who's had content stolen. And so it does create a great amount of angst and anxiety um, because um, at the end of the day, if you've had content that you've created um, that has been infringed upon, you want to know the quickest and uh, most effective way of having it being of ha- of having it being taken down. So, let's give a little bit of background about the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. It's a U.S. copyright law that criminalizes production and distribution of technology, devices, or services intended to circumvent measures that control access to copyrighted works. It also criminalizes the act of uh, circumventing an access control, whether or not there is actual infringement of copyright itself. In addition, and for our purposes, this is where it becomes critical, the DMC heightens penalties for copyright infringement on the Internet. It was passed back on October 12, 1998 by the U.S. Senate and signed into law by then-President Bill Clinton on October 28, 1998. The DMCA extends the reach of copyright while limiting the liability of providers of online services for copyright infringement by their users. So, it um, giveth and it taketh. It giveth in the sense that it uh, provides immunity to um, the big whale, so to speak, um, or these providers of online services, Um, whenever copyright infringement claims arise um, by their users. Uh, So in other words, um, it provides provides immunity to the big guys like Facebook and Google um, for infringed content that is posted or uploaded by their users. Um, And that is almost unparalleled in the legal industry for there to be absolute immunity. Now, these uh, providers of online services like Google and Facebook must adhere to a strict compliance process. If they are not in adherence with the strict compliance process, then they are still vulnerable to liability um, through a 
um, you know, through a joint theory of tort liability, which we won't get into. Um, now, in terms of what it, uh, what it takes, it extends the reach of copyright law uh, to the Internet, and that could potentially have a chilling effect on speech. Um, so to the extent that copyright law is being applied to the Internet, um, it is not possible to randomly and arbitrarily, you know, take another person's content and splash it online, um, giving others the um, impression that you're the creator. Um, and so one might ask the, uh, the, ask the question, uh, how does that chill speech if it's not your own? However, there are arguments pro and um, against that. But in, in essence, it giveth in the sense that it, provide, it provides absolute immunity to the big whales of the industry, and it taketh in the sense that it shills um, First Amendment speech in, um, by those who might be tempted to uh, steal other people's content. Now, the DMC provides a safe harbor provision, uh, which I was uh, getting at before. The safe harbor provision protects websites from liability when it comes to copyright takedowns. So a quick and dirty example might be one where Facebook or any site that has user-generated content, right? Um, they are shielded from copyright infringement claims based on content that's posted, based on infringed content that is posted by their users, so long as they adhere to this strict compliance process. Now, this, this uh, is a precursor to how there could be some chilling of speech in this area. Some websites are profiting from the violation of copyrights, but because of this loophole, they're not held responsible. So for example, music companies have urged Google to prevent searches of copyright infringing material by sending them a torrent of takedown notices. But despite these efforts, many top search results on Google are still these materials. And this, of course, you know, is uh, viewed by the record label companies as, you know, being, um, you know, copyright infringement um, per se. But the issue is, and the um, other side of the argument is that record label companies sometimes take advantage by um, requesting um, temporary takedowns of legitimately posted content that dramatically uh, that dramatically impacts them financially, but the content is not infringed upon. And um, this is used by businesses, the big record labels sometimes to block out or censor competition. Um, so it's important to understand that this whole issue can become very murky and in some cases is a double-edged sword. 
So there are three main abuses of the DMCA. Uh, first, fair use has been a legal gray area and is subject to opposing interpretations. This causes disparity in the treatment of individual cases. Second, the DMCA is often invoked overbearingly, favoring larger copyright holders over small ones. And um, that's routinely what happens when it comes to the um, censoring of competition. You have the uh, big Goliaths trying to shut down the uh, Davids, um, the smaller uh, companies. And they do so by instigating temporary takedowns of legitimate content um, that is not posted, that is not in, an infringement on any copyright they might hold, but is causing them some financial damage. And again, um, this is all being done in the name of uh, blocking out or censoring competition. Um, now, arguments can be made you know, on both sides of the ledger for this, but this is, uh, you know, this is what a lot of um, a lot of um, people who take the contrarian side of the argument will raise that there's this censorship of speech that arises as a result of the uh, DMCA, and so third, the lack of consequences for perjury in claims encourages uh, censorship. The idea here is that if a party who asserts a copyright infringement claim cannot subsequently be held liable for um, perjury by perjuring themselves um, in the uh, when they uh, when they instigate a copyright infringement claim, Anybody can just arbitrarily file these copyright uh, infringement claims and file the takedown notice that accompanies it um, and be, and do it with impunity because there is no retribution if they are not doing it in good faith. The critical question when it comes to the DMCA is, can it be used preemptively to thwart stop people dead in their tracks from stealing your content? Or can it only be used after a violation to correct a wrongdoing? Well, unfortunately, and, um, you know, this, un unfortunately, and, you know, much to the chagrin of many um, site owners, it can only be used after content is stolen, not before. So it can't be used as a preemptive strike. If you find your content on another site, you would then uh, use what are called takedown procedures in the DMCA to get it removed. There are a lot of myths about copyright infringement that need to be dispelled. And um, that is one of them, you know, where some people believe that the DMCA can be used preemptively to thwart people from stealing content, um, almost in the same way that, um, you know, uh, that that sci-fi movie where um, that, you know, goes back to the 80s uh, would be able to get into the minds of uh, of people who were going to commit criminal acts in the future and punish them 
uh, for the act um, while at the same time preventing the act from going down. I can't think of the movie right now, but um, in any event, the DMC cannot be used preemptively to thwart people from stealing your content. It can only be used post-op after a violation to correct a wrongdoing has occurred. So the biggest myth when it comes to copyright infringement is that you can take copyrighted material and post it on your site without running afoul of copyright infringement laws so long as you include a link back to the original source. This is um, 100% wrong and categorically untrue. There's no question that the web is a sharing environment. However, um, you can't you can't take a person's content and post it on a um, on your website or on a um, on a third party website um, with a link back to the material. Um, to add insult to injury, even if the infringed upon content has a uh, social media sharing button right next to it, like a Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter button lying right next to it, um, in and, and and literally like a neon sign suggesting "share me, share me, share me." That does not alter the result. If um, if you click on one of those social media sharing buttons. Um, it does not in any way cloak you in immunity from a potential copyright infringement claim if the creator of the content did not want the content um, to be shared. Um, so it's important to note this. And um, I would argue as an attorney that the content creator is hard-pressed to, um, to go to court and to... Uh, point the finger at you as being an infringer of his or her content if he or she had these um, social media sharing buttons um, lying right next to the content because obviously that is suggesting like a neon sign that they want the content to be shared. And when you combine that with the fact that the web is a sharing environment, um, you could basically see a, uh, see a jury laughing um, a person like that right out of court. But um, the law is that these social media sharing buttons do not alter the result. Um, and uh, certainly, as we discussed before, including a link back to the original source of the content in no way um, guarantees you immunity or absolves you from liability for a copyright infringement claim. So as chilling as all this sounds, um, the existence of that social media sharing button is not a defense to copyright infringement. And as I said before, um, you know, providing a backlink to the original content in no way um, protects you from a copyright infringement claim. Now, the next logical question here is what if you request permission from the content creator to repost their content and they respond emphatically with a yes. Well, I would distinguish here between an oral promise and a written one. So my first, um, my first, uh, my first piece of advice here is be careful relying on an oral promise because 
the content creator could later deny it. And then it turns into the classic case of he said, she said in court. And there is no proof that the content creator um, provided the oral promise. So you're getting into a pissing contest and it um, is not a good omen for you. Getting the creator's consent in writing, permission in writing, is a far better practice, but technically speaking, according to the statute, um, having it in writing, having the uh, content creator's permission in writing to repost the content still doesn't satisfy the rigid rules of the Copyright Infringement Act. Um, So you want to keep that in mind. Um, However, uh, one could really see uh, the person who who gives permission to you, i.e. the content creator, um, being laughed out of court if he filed a copyright infringement lawsuit against you and you walk into court the first day with an email uh, with that in black and white um, shows the content creator uh, acquiescing or giving you permission to use his or her said content. Um, so again, having hard proof, having a smoking gun to wave in front of a judge or a jury uh, will go a lot farther than wringing your hands and, um, you know, <laughs> wringing your hands and, um, you know, agonizing with the court that you had an oral promise from the content creator to repost his work. Once again, you know, it's important to have it in writing. So even though an email where the content creator agrees to let you use his content by giving you permission, uh, even though that is technically not, um, uh, that technically does not satisfy the copyright infringement statute, it's still, you know, the judge is still going to be hard-pressed to let the matter go to a jury uh, when you file a uh, motion to have the case dismissed if if you can produce uh, an email or some type of uh, writing that the content creator uh, made giving you permission to use the content. Now, what are the DMC takedown procedures? Um, This is very interesting, and um, this is something that you want to really um, be attentive to because it's something that you can do on your own. It's not necessary that a lawyer come into the picture um, um, at this point. Uh, However, because the DMC takedown procedures are so technical and because there are so many nuances, some people prefer to lean on a lawyer um, or to retain a lawyer um, if it gets to this stage. So essentially, someone has taken your content and you have discovered that it's floating around online on another person's website. You want it to be taken down. Well, there is a whole process that the DMC um, allows for to get 
um, pirated content removed from a Black Hatter's website. However, before we ever get to that point, since it can be very time-consuming and very expensive, what lawyers tend to do is they tend to submit what are called cease and desist letters to the site owner demanding that the um, infringed content be removed from the website. Uh, typically, these cease and desist letters consist of very stern language with, um, you know, that, that border on um, threats uh, to the black hatter to remove the content. Um, and the paraphrasing, it usually says something to the effect that um, I am um, attorney um, John Smith. I represent um, so-and-so. It's come to our attention that you have um, taken um, so-and-so's content without their permission. Uh, we demand that you remove the content at once. And um, these are the penalties that ensue for failing to do so. And, um, you know, and then laying out those penalties. And usually you get a favorable response and that response comes uh, very quickly on the heels of sending the letter. So at this point, we are going to end the first part of the podcast on copyright infringement. And uh, we will pick up in part two on what the DMC proce DMCA procedures are.